So page 1176 of the Maroon Bibles, Ephesians 5, starting at verse 1. And we're going to read to verse 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because... These are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the first signs of time is forgetting to switch your microphone on, so... There we go, we've got everything we need now. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, as Catherine said, and and very much grateful for that prayer. Thank you. Um, Different to what was advertised, we've been going through uh, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. We're going to pause that for a bit over Easter, and we're going to do something completely different this evening and do a bit of a, a spiritual MOT, really, and think about how Christians are different. So please do keep that passage open, Ephesians chapter 5, page 1176. And we're going to think about what it means to be different as a Christian. Now, I don't mean the fact that we're all different, that's, that's obvious. But actually, how does a Christian look different to non-Christians? Because Paul is saying that there should be differences in the way that we live, in the way that we think and we speak, the things that we do. There should be differences. So an opportunity for us all to think honestly and openly this evening about actually are we exhibiting those differences because God wants us to and we're going to be seeing why in just a moment. Um, but before, before we get on to that, um, I wonder if you've ever found yourself imitating someone. I'm not talking about the kind of imitation that children do where they try and copy you. Okay, right, eat your food, eat your food. <laughs> that kind of imitation which is Kind of funny the first thousand times and then gets a bit, a little bit tedious. Um, not that kind of invitation, but apparently if you're, if you're speaking to someone with a strong accent and, uh, you'll, you'll begin to imitate little things, little phrases, little things that they are doing to sound more and more like them. Um, I remember learning about this, this at college and, and, and you become more like them. You imitate them. I wonder if you've ever found yourself imitating someone without realizing it. Um, well, I came across this story recently, um, and uh, there was president in the United States, Calvin Coolidge, um, early part of the last century. And he had invited some home people, uh, some people from his hometown to come to the White House 
to, uh, to have dinner with him at the White House. And, and this family have never been to anything like this in their entire life. So they didn't know how to behave. So they thought, okay, well, let's just copy the president. And whatever he does, that's surely the right way to behave. Can't go wrong. So, so anyway, they went along. And, and the period in, the, in the, the meal when they were served coffee came along. And, um, and they observed what the president was doing. So, and the president, he took some of the jug that the coffee was in and poured it into the saucer. And I said, this is a bit weird. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's do that. So they took some of their coffee, and they would do what the president does, pour it into the saucer. He then got a spoon and got some sugar out, mixed it in with the coffee in the saucer. And they were like, okay, why would we do that? Got the little um, jug of milk, poured that into the saucer as well, mixed that in. And there they were, expecting for him to, to lift up the saucer and start licking it. And the president then puts the saucer down on the ground and calls the cat over. <laughs> I'm not quite sure why you'd give coffee to your cat. Uh, and it doesn't say what, what they did after that. Did they then pretend to give it to the cat or anything? Sometimes imitation can, uh, can, can cause problems like it did for that family. But, but I think all of us in life, actually, we look to others to imitate, don't we? Perhaps we, we look to others at school or college. Perhaps if we're new and um, we see how the other people are behaving and we imitate them. To, to try and fit in. Or maybe we do it, maybe we've got a new job and we, we see how others behave, the way that people speak to one another and we imitate them to try and fit in. Perhaps we're doing that tonight at church. We, we're new to church and, and we see how people sing and how they stand up and sit down. We thought, okay, well, I'll try and fit in. I'll, I'll be like them. We imitate all the time, don't we? Well, Paul in this passage has something to say about imitation. Because actually imitation should be really central to what we do as Christians. And Paul wants this church in Ephesus to make sure that they are imitating the right person in the right way. And if we do what Paul is calling Christians to do, that will mean that we should look different to those who don't know Jesus. So we're thinking about what it means to be different as Christians this evening. Three questions we're going to ask. Why should we be different? Why is it important for Christians to be different? What does being different look like in the day-to-day? And actually, what motivates us? What, what gets to our hearts to motivate us to be different in our lives? So firstly then, why should we be different? Paul says it's quite simple, really. There are two things that means that Christians should be different. The first one is, is who they are, and the second is what God has done for us. But firstly then, who we are. Have a look with me down at, at verse 1. It's kind of tucked in to the big five there. Um, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. It's a beautiful little phrase, isn't it? But it's packed full of so much meaning. What it means to be a Christian, a dearly loved child of God. That means that, as we've already sung about tonight, a Christian is someone who's been adopted. They've been brought in to a new family. They are, as as Paul often refers to in this letter to the Ephesians, they are now in Christ. By trusting in what Jesus has done in his finished work at the cross, they have been united to Christ, joined to him. Like, Like a husband and a wife, they've been joined together in an inseparable bond. Children are dearly loved. God, uh, sorry, Christians are dearly loved children. 
And as we sang about in this song just now, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, how God is at work, even though the reading is completely different. Actually, that last song in the chorus was talking about rescued out of darkness into light. And that is what it means to be dearly loved. We have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And because of this, because of what has happened to us and because of who we are, we are to imitate God. The translation here puts follow God's example, but but imitation is is a better word for that. In fact, the, the, the actual word mimetis means mimic, imitate, copy what you see in God's behavior. Now, the Bible tells us that that all of all of humanity are made in God's image. But those who have been redeemed, those who know and love Christ are being restored. They're being made more and more like their creator in all sorts of ways. In their relationships, the way that we relate to one another, a Christian should be coming more and more like Jesus in the way that they think, the things that occupy their mind. They should be coming more and more like Jesus in their behaviors and one of the big ways as well in their finances. Actually, the way that they use their money should reflect on God's generosity. That's what Stephen was speaking about this morning here at the mix in our morning service. That actually Christians are generous because God is incredibly generous. That's the first reason why Christians should be different. It's because of who they are. And the second reason is similar. It's because of what God has done for us. Have a look at verse 2. Paul says, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says, Christ, that is Jesus, loved us. Now we want to say, of course, that God loves us, he loves his children. But Paul says Christ loved us, as in something that's happened in the past, a specific moment that Paul is thinking about where Christ showed his love for us. He loved us. If we want to think about why Christians should be different, we need to start with the fact that before we've done anything, even before we've been born, Christ loved us. It all starts with what he has done. That a specific period in time, 2,000 years ago, God showed his love for us by sending his son to die on a Roman cross. And it's worthwhile reflecting on. So often we talk about the cross, but actually I don't think we always spend much time actually really thinking about it, meditating on the fact that, that Jesus Christ loved us. One of the great things we get to do at Easter is actually to to slow down a bit of that story of the gospel and think about it in greater detail. Catherine was talking about some of the services coming up that we got advertised here. And on Good Friday and two o'clock in the afternoon, we have a a really special service um, called An Hour at the Cross, which is an opportunity to do that. Perhaps that's not anything you've ever been to before, but can I encourage you to think about maybe coming for the first time? I guarantee there's nothing better you could do with an hour than to actually think about the fact that Christ loved us and spend an hour just reflecting on that, praying it and chewing it through. We think about Jesus' death for us at the cross. 
So we see that Christ loved us. This is what he's done for us. And he gave himself. That's what Paul goes on to say in verse two, that he gave himself up for us. That is at the cross. Jesus Christ held nothing back. He wasn't only giving a bit of himself. He gave himself up for us totally, completely. He gave himself completely so that we might be completely forgiven. And Paul says he he gave himself up as a sacrifice, as an offering. That is, Jesus' death wasn't just a show of how much God loved us, but it actually did achieve something for Christians, for those who follow Christ. One writer, reflecting on the cross, put it like this. Christ died to save us, not from suffering, but from ourselves. Not from injustice, far less from justice, but from being unjust. He died that we might live. It's the greatest swap in human history. Christ dying so that we might have life forever. So as we're thinking about whether we're different as Christians, whether we look different to the world, or if you're not yet a Christian, thinking about what does it mean to be a Christian, we start by looking at the fact that they are dearly loved by God, not because of what they've done, but because of what God has done. And that's why Christians should be different. Well, then practically, what does being different look like in day-to-day life for a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, let's, let's just zoom back to Paul's day. Paul writing 2,000 years ago, he's writing to this church in Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And uh, Ephesus was, was a big focus of um, pagan worship, particularly worship of this, uh, of this Roman and Greek god called Artemis. And it was particularly unpleasant, uh, the worship that happened in the temple to, to Artemis. And there was a lot of mixture with all this kind of sexual immorality, which is why Paul picks up on this in just a moment. And in one sense, you know, whatever goes. Now, for us today, there, there are different cultural pressures. We're not experiencing pressure to go to some temple uh, and be involved in all kind of shady practices and stuff. But actually, we think about stuff underneath all of this, and actually a lot of the pressures actually are still quite similar, I think, to today. They're not that different. So what does being different look like in a culture like ours, and and what does it look like back in Paul's day writing to this church in Ephesus? Well, whether it's Ephesus or whether it's today in in 2019 here in, in, in Brighton and Hove, actually the call for all Christians is the same, that we are to imitate God by behaving in a godly way in two areas, with our passions and with our words. Firstly, Paul talks about our passions. And this is, this is where it might really come home for some of us. So verse 3, have a look uh, with me of what it says down here in the Bibles. Verse 3, Paul says, but among you, this is among this church, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. In Paul's day, Christians were to be distinctive because of their attitudes to to all sorts of things. But certainly their attitude to sex, particularly in a highly sexualized culture like in Ephesus. 
He spells out what is not okay for someone who is a child of God. Someone who knows the lengths that Jesus went to rescue them. That means what what we think about and what we do and who we do it with. Now, Paul doesn't say that, that sex is bad. That sometimes in the, in the church, we've, we've misunderstood the teaching of the Bible and just think that, that sex is bad. Actually, God is the creator of sex, but he is saying that it is to be enjoyed in God's way. And, and the term that, that Paul uses here to describe sexual immorality is, is the Greek word porneia, which means anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And this is where it begins to get controversial. It's controversial in Paul's day. It's controversial today. The Bible has a very high standard of, of Christian living in all areas, and, and particularly in our sexual lives. But I want us to, to think a bit more about why Paul might be saying that. He wants the church to appear to be distinctive, to look different to the surrounding culture. But I think there's also... There's kindness in these words. Because Paul knows, and and any Christian knows deep down, that sex is not God. Many people treat it like it was, but sex is not God. If you look to sex or to anything apart from God to give you what only God can give you, it will not save you. It will only enslave you. And Paul wants Christians to be rescued from this. And God wants Christians to be rescued from this today as much as he did back then. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a hard thing. Because particularly in, in our sexual lives, there is so much shame and, and guilt tied in with it. And I think particularly that's, that's a real difficulty for Christians. Because we know how we should be living, but when we fail, we feel shame and guilt, and it feels debilitating, and it feels like there isn't a way out. But God does want us to know freedom from shame and guilt, which is why Jesus went to the cross. We look down into verse 13 quickly, and there's this curious little phrase that Paul uses, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. There's a lovely bit in a C.S. Lewis book, The Great Divorce, that talks about someone who is struggling with sexual sin and it's like this lizard on their back and it's trying to, to hold him down and kill him. And this angel comes along, this is all fiction, this angel comes along and kills the lizard, it falls to the ground and it rises back as a new stallion for this now renewed man that has been liberated to ride off to heaven onto Obviously, it's a fictional story, but actually, it's true that that things that may be holding us down, actually, God desires to use to be testimonies of, of his grace and transformation in our lives. We don't have to get stuck into this cycle of shame and guilt. God desires freedom for us and for these areas of our life that may remain dark to become light, to be transformed into something different, a testimony of his grace. But Paul isn't just hung up on about sex, as, as, as people might accuse him of. Actually, Paul is concerned with the whole area of the Christian's life. Notice in that same passage, in verse 5, he's, he's forbidding any hint of sexual immorality. He's also forbidding greed. 
which is probably something we don't talk about as much in church. But actually, it's the same issue, isn't it? Because actually, it's to do with, with putting ourselves in the center, thinking about what, what we want, what we can get. And, and greed is just another expression of that. It's just saying, I just want just a bit more. Or I just want that slightly better upgrade, or whatever it is. Instead, Christians are to be different. Willing to, to sacrifice our passions because we look to Jesus and his greater sacrifice. So that's one way we can be different in how we think about and how we react to, to our passions, that those things in our life that, that tempt us to put ourselves at the center and not God. But the second way, Paul says, is that we can do that by imitating God, by behaving in a godly way with our words. Have a look at verse 4. Paul says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which out of place. Paul picks up on a few things and ways that Christians can use their words that actually it's not appropriate for a Christian to speak like this. So he picks up on obscenity, ugly language that reflects badly on Christ and on his church. And that's, that's in face-to-face conversation. That might be um, on social media as well. One of the things that I've, I've, that, that's upset me most on, on social media is when I've seen Christians speaking in a way that doesn't honor Christ. It looks ugly. It's out of place. But Paul says as well, foolish talk, coarse joking. That is, what we fill our minds with, what, whatever it is we're watching or reading or listening to, Actually, that can affect our behavior because we begin imitating those things because we're filling our minds with them. But again, this is like making light of something that God says is serious. We're laughing about sort of sexual jokes and and stuff like that. Actually, that's making light of something that God says is important. That doesn't mean we can't have a sense of humor. Of course, God wants us to have a sense of humor. And it's great that we can laugh together as a church about all sorts of silly things that, that happen but actually, there is, a, there is a limit because it can become about making light of things that God has said is serious and actually not to be joked about. But actually, whatever it is, if we're using a words in a way that, that don't honor Christ, all of these things are out of place. It's a little bit like a bride turning up on her wedding day. But instead of wearing a beautiful dress, she is wearing smelly work overalls. It's a mismatch, isn't it? It's not appropriate for her to turn up on her wedding day just dressed as if she's doing some DIY or painting. It should be a thing of beauty, and it's the same for a Christian. We should dress ourselves in our passions and our words in ways that befit the fact that we know Christ. But I realize probably many sermons have been preached in the last 2,000 years telling Christians not to do things. And change your behavior. But I'm not really sure how convinced how, how well that works. But notice Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't just say, just stop doing what you're doing. It's not right. He says, replace it. He says, replace it, end of verse 4, with thanksgiving. That's not, that's not meaning that Christians are people who are just trying to say no to the bad things and then they fail and then they feel bad and that cycle continues. But rather they are choosing to replace those things with things to be thankful for and perhaps areas in those lives. Instead of being 
increasingly greedy, actually they can take a step back and think, actually God has given me so much. I can be thankful for that. And it's that process that begins to undo that cycle, shame, guilt, addiction, greed, whatever it is. We replace it with thankfulness. Thankful for what God has given us and for what these, these good things that we experience point to. To knowing him in the new creation. You see, God cares about what his children do with their bodies and their words because he desires their ultimate good. To be more and more like Christ. And that's the exciting work that, that God, by his Holy Spirit, does in Christians. The fancy word we use for it is sanctification. It's becoming more like Christ. That's not an immediate thing. It doesn't happen instantly once, once we come to faith. But God is committed, as Paul says elsewhere, to continue the good work that he's begun in us. So being different as a Christian looks like turning from old ways of doing things towards a life of thankfulness. And finally then, what, what motivates us to be different? We've seen quite a lot about why we should be different and what that looks like. But, but Paul focuses on a few things that help us to motivate us. So as we wake up this week, think about, actually, what's my motivation for, for living differently as a Christian? And he gives four things, and I'll try and go, go through them quickly. The first thing is what is coming. Have a look down at uh, verse 5 to 7. Paul writes, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. What Paul says, something that is coming is a day of judgment. A day when, when Jesus will return and disclose our, our hearts and we won't be able to cover anything up. And Paul says because of that, that these ways of living that he's described are not only how God doesn't want us to live, but Paul goes as far as saying that those who do them won't go to heaven. It's a sobering message, but actually this is a motivation for being different as a Christian. Particularly is actually for, for a lot of us, this stuff might be quite costly. It might mean saying no to certain things. It might mean that the way we're behaving in a relationship needs to stop. It might mean that the, the greed in our life needs to stop. Because God will judge. But I hope you can see, as we've been thinking about through, through Jeremiah, actually, that God's judgment is fair. That at the end of the day, actually, God gives us what we want most. Which is why Paul says in, in verse 5 that these people are idolaters. Now, to be an idolater means to replace God with, with anything else. And these things, whatever it is, greed, sex, power, have become their functional gods. But those things are temporary, aren't they? So where are you going to be left in eternity if you've built your life around a God that is no longer there? One person wrote this. As we, we think about the fact that this isn't for us to tar others with, to feel good about ourselves and to look down our noses at others. Actually, Paul is addressing this to a church, to a church family full of Christians. We too are to be mindful of this judgment. And that is a motivation for living differently. 
One person wrote this. If he should come today and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my saviour has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so very weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend, whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad, quite glad, remembering that he died for all, and none through me had heard his call? What would he say? Judgment is a motivation for us, actually, to live differently. The second thing is is where we are living. Paul wants us to remember that we are living in the light. Very quickly now, verse 8 and 9. Picking up on, on what we just sung about in the song just now. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Paul says we are to live in the light and not in the darkness. And actually that has its own rewards. Because the things that he is describing, goodness, righteousness and truth, those things last forever. The fruit of living in the life has its own rewards, these things, or last. And that's where we live. So we are to live like we are living in the light. Thirdly, how should we live in this light? Well, Paul says just on from there that we should be wise. Verse, um, here we go, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine. Sorry, uh, verse 16, sorry. We are to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. There we are, verse 15. Paul says wisdom here, wisdom is something that the Bible talks a lot about. Wisdom here is knowing how to live out God's purpose for us with the opportunities that God gives us. Now God gives us opportunities every day to share him, to be different as Christians. We don't have to spell out the entire gospel for someone every, every five minutes to be doing that, but we can still, as we've been looking at this, be living different as Christians, whether that's at school, at work, at home, in the community. We carefully use the resources that God has given us in our words, in the way that we live, to point others to Jesus. And lastly, and this is tied on to what we're going to sing about in just a moment, the final motivation Paul gives for, for Christians to be different is worship. Spirit-filled worship, verse 18 and 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There should be a delight when we gather to worship God as God's people. And that should motivate us, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. We want to worship God. And we can do that in all sorts of ways. We don't have to be here to do that, although it is right that we gather on on the Lord's Day to, to worship God. But we can worship God throughout the week. And some of the examples that Paul gives here about speaking psalms and and scripture to one another to to encourage, to challenge, to build each other up using scripture. 
But we need to be reading scripture if we're going to be um, encouraging brothers and sisters with it. To be encouraging others with songs. Now, I love it when, when, when people are able to, to quote, quote songs and, and particularly tie them in with, with bits of the Bible. It's, I find it's really encouraging and actually a great way of remembering biblical truths. And that can be done discreetly, it can be done quietly. But when we gather, we, we can, it's, and I think it's good to have moments of silence. We can be quiet, but we can be loud as well. The psalm, Psalms tell us to, to rejoice loudly. But all of this is rooted around wanting to worship God with hearts that are thankful. Christians are to be different, but, but this is a process. All of us are a work in progress. But God has started that work and he will continue it. But we have these motivations from God's word to be different. I wonder how, how different do you feel this evening? If, if you're like me, probably not as different as you feel you should be. But the great news is that through the cross we can know God's forgiveness and know his abundant grace, which is why it's important that we, we gather together regularly to share in communion at the Lord's Supper, to be built up in our faith, to be reminded of God's forgiveness and his grace. If we want to imitate God, we must begin by realising what he has done for us. We've got to start with that. If we've forgotten that, we need to go back to that. Realise what God has done for us. Only then will we be able to turn away from old habits and, and sins and temptations in his strength. And we keep on doing that, motivated by the reality of those four things. Judgment, that we live in the kingdom of light, using his wisdom and gathering to worship, to imitate Christ until one day we will be with him.